Good morning, church. Please stand. We like to say around here that today is a good day to renew my mind, encourage my soul, align with truth, and walk in faith. That's a good declaration. I like saying that every day of the week. It's a good day. It's a good day. We are in a series called You Were Made for This. Week one, I said that you were made for others, and that was a great, great sermon. Thank you. Uh, Last week, I wasn't here, but um, you guys were blessed with Greg Wheeler, who was on platform. Yeah. Where he posed to you that you were made for connection, you were made for community, you were made to be involved and to be builders of the kingdom. Um, You have a part to play. Brilliant message. If you didn't get a chance to listen to it, it is available online. Today, I'm going to continue the trend of you were made for this, and I want to encourage you. But first, I'll take you to our text, Ephesians chapter 6. I had a dream last night, by the way. I don't know if this is prophetic or not. A couple things stood out to me. Michael, you were in my dream. Yeah, and uh, Tristan was in my dream. I think we were heading to youth camp, or I don't really know the context. I know that I didn't have a vehicle, uh, which probably plays into some other issue in my life right now. <laughs> but then I looked over at you. I was trying to like get the weight off my shoulders. I was carrying a lot of weight, and so I had these big bags of chips. And you ever heard of Gard- Gardetto's, like Chex Mix? The original recipe, my favorite thing in there is a little disc, the brown disc. I don't know what it's called. Oh, I will pick through all the checks just to get to that disc. Anyway, I had a massive bag and I was like, hey, Tristan, do you want this? And Tristan said no. And you're like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And so I like threw it over to you. And then your mom said, you can't eat that all in one time. You need to get some Ziploc bags and break that up. I don't know if that's something she would do or not, but I just thought that was pretty hilarious. (laughs) So you were in my dream. I don't know what that could signify spiritually, uh, but maybe there's there's some food coming your way. Um, Also in my dream, I preached for two and a half hours. So in my dream, the way that I knew I had gone over was my dad's face. My dad was in the congregation and he's like, My dad has a philosophy that if a preacher can't get his point done in 30 minutes, he's not a good preacher. (laughs) So anyway, I'm getting, I'm not a good preacher yet, Uh, but I I hope to not go two and a half hours today. All right. So I promise that you guys will have plenty of time to take me to lunch. We're going to go to Ephesians chapter six. Thank you, Lord. Ephesians six, verse 10. Through 18. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Some translations say schemes, wiles. When I read that word wiles, I think of wily coyote. I know that's showing my age a little bit, but I just think of the wily coyote. Stand against the wiles of the devil, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, 
but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith with which you may be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. You are made for this. The title of my sermon today is Made for War. Mm, you were made for this. Father, we come before you today. I thank you so much that there is a settling in the room of a warrior spirit. God, I just thank you that we are more than conquerors through him who has already overcome. God, I thank you that there is no weapon formed against us that shall prosper. God, I thank you that you have created us to be the head and not the tail. God, I thank you that at the mention of the name of Jesus, every circumstance, every situation, every disease, every fear, every trauma must bow. Oh God, I thank you that you did not create us to be weaklings. You created us to be warriors. Let us step into that mantle now. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say, amen. Why don't you turn to three or four people and say, you were made for this, made for this. You get extra credit if you do a war face. There was a chess champion that traveled from the U.S. to Europe on vacation, and he was at an art museum. He was looking at the art displays, and he happened upon one piece of artwork that caught his eye and fascinated him. In this artwork, the devil was sitting at the table. Across the table was a man, and in the middle of the table was a chessboard. The pieces were thrown about and in position, but you could sense that they were toward the end of the game. The devil was kicked back in his chair, laughing, slapping his knee, grinning from ear to ear. You could tell that he was very happy with the way the game was turning out. And the man, sitting in his tattered clothes, bit his fingernails. You could almost sense the chattering of the teeth and the nerves that were being rocked just looking at the game on the table. The chess master uh, looked up at the title, and it all made sense when he saw that the title of the artwork was Checkmate. He noticed that the enemy thought he had won, and the man sitting across from him thought he had lost. And he looked at that painting, and he, he looked some more. And he spent way too much time looking at this painting, but after all, he is a 
a chess champion, so he was intrigued with the position of all the pieces, the queen and the king and the knights and the pawns, and he, he was looking at it, and then finally he called the owner of the museum, and he said, excuse me, sir, is there any chance that you have a, a, a chess game lying around? As luck would have it and illustrations would demand, there was a chess board. The owner went to get the chessboard and laid it out, and this chess uh, champion looked at the painting and he arranged the pieces exactly as they were in the painting. He took a step back and he examined the board, looked up at the painting, examined the board, looked up at the painting, examined the board, looked up at the painting, and slowly came back to rest on the board. It hit him. Oh, mister, if you could just hear me now, he says. If you could just hear me now, he's not one. You actually have one final move. You, you don't see it on the board, and you're, you're nervous, and I see the sweat beads that are dripping from your brow, but you just got to trust me on this. There's, there's one final... I know that he's told you checkmate, but it's a lie. There's one final move. And, and I have to tell you today... You're sitting across the table from your adversary and you may be biting your nails and your teeth may be clattering and there may be sweat dripping from your brow, but I just have to let you know today that the moves aren't over. The devil may have told you checkmate. He, he may have called out checkmate, which for those of us that don't play chess, don't know. Checkmate means there's no other way you can go. You're going to lose. He may have said checkmate, but I'm here to declare there's one final move. And that move is yours. We see the moves all throughout Scripture, by the way. We see a move, counter move, move, counter move, 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 counter move, move, counter move. The first move in recorded history in the Bible was when God made angels and creation. That was the first move. Lucifer reacted negatively to that move and rebelled against God, took a third of the angels with him. And God countered that move by creating man in his own image. Satan rebelled against that move by getting Adam and Eve to turn the earth over to his control. But God countered that move by the redemptive covering for Adam and Eve so that they could return back to fellowship with God. Of course, Satan tried to counter that move by getting Cain to kill Abel in order to cut off the godly line. But that's when God countered that move through the birth of Seth so that men everywhere began to call on the name of the Lord again. Of course, that's when Satan tried to counter that move through the birth of Nimrod, who built civilizations of Babylon in Babylon. They gathered together at the Tower of Babel, beginning to build a whole religion in defiance of God. The devil thought he had won. <laughs> but God countered that move. God countered that move by going to the heir of the countries, finding a man named Abraham and saying, I'm going to create my own nation that will obey me. And that's when Satan countered that move by getting them trapped in Egypt. But God countered that move by getting Moses to go to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And then the devil countered that move by getting them trapped in the wilderness. But God countered that move by providing manna and everything that they needed while there. The whole New Testament or Old Testament has moved, counter-move, move, counter-move, move, count. We see it back and forth, this game of chess through the Old Testament, and then there's 400 years of silence. 
we see God and Satan looking at the board. And we're wondering what's going to happen next. Who's going to win this chess game? God says, you know what, I'm tired of this. He had been using people up until that point, prophets and kings and all kinds of animals and things. But he was like, forget that. I'm going to go down there and fix this myself. So God took the next move. We see in Matthew chapter 1, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so beget, so-and-so, until we see that Joseph, who was married to Mary by whom was born Jesus Christ. And up until that time, God used a man, but this time it was God in the flesh himself. Boom! God laid down his move. But Satan had a counter move. He tried to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. God had a counter move to that. Jesus used scripture. Satan had a counter move. Satan thought it was his final move. And they nailed the Son of God to the cross. Satan was sure that this was the final move. I think he shouted, checkmate. I have destroyed the Son of God, the agent of God on planet Earth. But Satan didn't know that God had a counter move. God wasn't twiddling his fingers for three days, looking at the board, wondering what next move he should make. God was just waiting for the clock to run out. He was just waiting for that final second, you know, before the judge hits the timer and he's like, you got to make your move right now. And on day three, on Easter morning, God made his final move. Jesus, the son of God, rose from the grave, conquering death, hell, the grave, Conquering your anxiety, depression, conquering divorce, conquering sexual sin, conquering pornography, conquering everything that you and I could potentially ever go through. That was the final move. And I just have to tell you, the devil didn't bank on that final move, but God knew it all along. And that final move on Calvary, the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, that's your final move. So you're sitting at a table right now and you're, you're feeling the tension of the circumstance that you're currently in and you, you feel like you're going to be defeated and you're wondering, what's my next move? Your next move has already been made. Your final move happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary. I want to read our text again today because I want to make sure that you understand you were made for war. You weren't made to be the enemy's Patsy or Nancy, whatever name you want to throw in. You weren't made to be the enemy's pawn. Ephesians 6, verses 10 through 18, finally My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day And having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, 
taking the shield of faith and with which you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. I know some of us look in the mirror and we think, God, I'm a weakling. I don't have muscles. I can't run long distances. I can't lift heavy weight. I can't even eat dinner without getting out of breath. Aren't you glad we don't have to fight any war in the power of our own strength? It's through his might. And the enemy would love to confuse us and think that it's all in our own doing, our own ability, our own ability to negotiate, our own ability for conflict resolution, our own ability to speak with grace and mercy and tenderness. But we're not fighting battles that you can win. We're fighting battles that only God can win. And one of the things we get distracted in is is just understanding our enemy. I want to talk about the enemy today. Is that all right? Sometimes it's, it's easy when people are jerks to think that they're a problem. But Ephesians just told us that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. We don't wrestle against mama or daddy or brother or sister or boss, co-worker, news reporter, political pundit. We, we don't wrestle against people. In fact, I put this, it's so important I put it on your notes. People are not my problem. Write that down. Turn to your neighbor say, people are not my problem. I know you're thinking of that person and you think, but Trey don't know this person. <laughs> but Trey just don't know. Here's what I do know. You're right. I don't know the person you're having to deal with. I've, I've had to deal with some doozies myself, even recently. People can be doozies. But I remind myself in those moments That every person I'm looking at in the eye is a person that Jesus died for. A person that Jesus passionately loves. A person that is potentially my brother. A person that potentially I I may room with in heaven for eternity. So I might as well learn to get along now. I might as well learn to extend some grace and love and kindness and encouragement now because... I know they may not be a Christian now, but they might be someday. And God might just find it pleasurable to sit you right next to them for eternity. Since you didn't have such a good time on the timetable of earth, let's just, let's practice for, I don't know, ever. People are not my problem. But whenever people pose problems to me, here's what I do remind myself. I remind myself that oftentimes Other people who don't love Jesus, their spirit man is in conflict with me and they don't even know why. I irk them. I know that's hard. My wife is like, there's nothing about my husband that could irk anybody. I know, honey, it's true. 
I irk them and they don't even know why. They can't even give me a good reason on why I take them off or, or why they can't stand to see me chew food. What, whatever it is. And, and it's the same with you. Sometimes you go to work and it seems like everyone is against you and you don't know why and you think, what did I do? And oftentimes the answer is absolutely nothing. Sometimes people hate you because of the Jesus that's in you. And it's not because you're oversaved and slamming your Bible on their desk and quoting scripture can't be real and down to earth. It's just there is a spiritual dynamic at work that can't be seen because every day of your life you are in war. You're in war. Whether you know it or not, whether you're trimming trees, building houses, doing spreadsheets, articulating a case, an attorney, whatever it is that you do in life, it may just feel like a regular day to you, but it's not. It's another day on the battlefield. But people are not your problem. And too often we want to make people our problem. The verse here says that our real problem are the principalities and powers against the rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the, what? Heavenly places. The real enemy is in heavenly places. What is, what is the heavenly place? What are heavenly places? Let's just define that so we can wrap our brain around this context of the battleground. Heavenly places is equal to the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm. So the enemy may use someone that's sitting next to you or works beside you during the week. He may use that person, but that person is not your enemy. The enemy is working through someone on earth, but they reside in the heavenly places, in the spiritual realm. What, what is spiritual warfare, by the way? Spiritual warfare, for those of us who don't really know how to describe it, I would describe it this way. Spiritual warfare is the conflict in the invisible realm that impacts the physical realm. There are things even now going on in the spirit realm that you can't see that will impact the things that you can see. It will impact the communication of a husband and wife. It will impact the communication of a child and parent. It will impact the study habits of a student. It will impact your physical body and its health. It will impact your desire for sweets and pizza and ice cream and Gardettos. Oftentimes when, uh, this is just an aside, I, I, I'm fascinated by weather and it's getting more extreme if you haven't noticed. Uh, for sure, but I often wonder when things come out of nowhere, when um, massive hurricanes happen that was kind of not really expected, or earthquakes happen not really projected, what, whatever the case may be, I wonder what has just taken place in the spirit realm that is then made manifest on planet Earth. And so when there is a, a big event, a mass shooting in the world, when that happens, I don't just pray, and I do pray, but I don't just pray for the victims and the families and pray for justice for the murderer. I begin to pray into the spirit realm. 
because that is a reflection of whatever is whatever warfare is going on in the spirit realm so my prayers into the spirit realm begin to give power and strength to the angels that are fighting in the heavenly places are you with me Spiritual warfare is the conflict in the invisible realm that impacts the physical realm. The problem is, I think, that many of us try to fix the physical with the physical, but the physical problems are really birthed in the spiritual we see problems in our relationships, in our finances, in our careers, whatever the case may be, in our appetites, our desires, and we, we just try to make promises like, I'm never going to do that again. Oh God, forgive me, I, I, I'm going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. I'm never going to go to that website again. I'm never going to talk to that person. Whatever it is, we begin to try to fix something in the natural, but that's not where the problem started. And you can't fix in the physical what started in the spiritual. You can't fix on planet Earth what began in the heavenly places. Are you with me? So you and I have to learn to go to the heavenly places. Now, the heavenly places is, is no stranger to God or Jesus. We learn in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the, in, heavenly, in the heavenly in Christ. Did I miss a word there? Thank you. In the heavenly places. Our blessings are in the heavenly places. Our blessings are in the heavenly places. What else? Ephesians 1.20 Which he worked in Christ when he was raised when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, Jesus can be found seated in the heavenly places. What else? Ephesians 3.10, The manifold wisdom of God might be made known by the church to the principalities and powers, the principalities and powers, uh, demons and angels in the heavenly places. So we see that wisdom and angels are in the heavenly places. What else? Ephesians 6.12, our text for today, says we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness. Where are they? In the heavenly places. So we've got, let's see, our blessings in the heavenly places. We've got Jesus in the heavenly places. We've got angels in the heavenly places. We've got demons in the heavenly places. We've got wisdom in the heavenly places. But we're trying to fix all of our problems on planet Earth. If we have access, and we do, because we've been seated next to Jesus in the heavenly places. If we have access to the heavenly place, to the spirit realm, we probably should learn by now that the physical can't fix the spiritual. And the enemy wants you to live in a world of five senses. What I see, what I hear, what I taste, what I touch, what I feel. The five senses. That, the Bible talks about that as the natural man. We can't engage in spiritual warfare with our natural man. And too many of us are trying to get other people that live with the five senses to fix our problem with our own five senses. So we go to a counselor expecting the counselor to fix all the things that started in the spiritual. Now, I am pro-counseling. Look at your neighbor and say, Pastor loves counselors. Look at your other neighbor and say, he could be rich if he had all the money he gave to counselors. 
I am pro-counseling, but I did not expect a counselor to fix a problem that was birthed in the spirit realm. I can't expect the five senses to fix what the sixth sense brought in. The devil does not want you to know his schemes. He wants you to think it's all about behavior modification. Well, if I just put the app on my phone, if I just put the app on the computer and my dad knows everything that I go, every website that I go to, then I won't go to that website. But, okay, those guardrails are good. They're good. If you struggle with pornography and you're needing help with that, set those guardrails. But ultimately, it's a heart issue that needs repair. It's not about, Christianity is not behavior modification. Christianity is life transformation. The devil doesn't want you to know his schemes. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities. And we stand against the wiles, the schemes of the devil. The schemes of the devil. He loves to use deception. Many of us think the devil's going to show up in our bedroom wearing a, a red leotard with a, a red pole that has a pitchfork on it and the, the red ears, the red hook ears. Right? If he came to us like that, it would be easy. Up, devil, get out. Up, devil, get out. Up, devil, get out. But sometimes, all the time, all the time, the devil wraps his knock on the door in deception. When he knocks and you say, who's there? He doesn't say, Lucifer. He says, your hopes and dreams, your desire to be loved, the unbelief that you're thinking about the risen God, the past trauma and fear, the hurt that your husband caused, that your wife caused, that your parent caused. He, he will knock on that door and use just enough truth that you open it in because it seems like a reasonable guest. And so you sit down with this person who looks like a legitimate visitor in your home and you bring out the chessboard. And as the plays, you don't know you're playing with the devil the first few moves, but it starts to get warm in there. You remove a layer and he removes a layer. And as he removes layers, you see his true identity, but then you hear the words, checkmate. The devil will never come to you using the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth. The devil doesn't want you to know his schemes. He wants to hide, just like he did in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The Bible says that he used the snake. Why? Because the snake was the most crafty of the animals. Satan will look around in the context of your life, your home, and he will find the most crafty thing, the most subtle thing, the thing which you won't discern as being him, and he will use that to come against you. Now, I want to help you this morning. I've, I've written out four marks. How did I phrase that in your notes? I didn't write it on mine. 
four marks of a person influenced by demonic activity. Because sometimes we have problems with people in our work situation or our family. Sometimes people just like need to learn manners. Sometimes people are just rude. Sometimes people just didn't get disciplined as a kid. Sometimes people never learned how to share. Some, you know, th- that's all natural man stuff, right? We're going to have conflict naturally in the flesh with people. Can I get a witness? But there are moments where there is a situation, a person that is coming against us, and it is demonically inspired. I want to teach you at least four. There are more, I'm sure. But I want to teach you four ways to determine if a person is demonic, demonically inspired. That doesn't mean they're your enemy. It just shows you the footing on what battle you need to fight. Handling someone that doesn't have manners, sayo, is a lot different than handling someone who is being influenced by the enemy. You handle them two totally different ways, right? I, if my boys or daughters, if they have an issue and they've forgotten their manners, which happens to all of our kids as they're growing up and learning to become adults, and sometimes they address you in a way and they've forgotten their manners, I'm not going to pray for him in that moment. I'm going to teach him a lesson. I don't know why I'm looking at you, Jordan. You're great. You're the only child that I see. But you know what I'm saying. You just handle it different. If somebody needs to learn manners, you approach that differently than somebody that is demonically inspired. You go to war on that situation. In the spirit realm, not with the person. And the thing that is inside of them has to submit to the authority that you carry through Christ Jesus. Whether they, whether they like you or not, whether they want you to have that promotion or not, whether they hate your guts, it doesn't matter. You're not dealing with the person. You're dealing with the spirit that is driving their behavior towards you. So how do you know, how do you know if someone has a demonic influence? Number one, A person with demonic influence will use lies that lead to unrighteous living. That's why we see the belt of truth together with the breastplate of righteousness. We need to put on the belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness because there is a demonic activity that will link the lies cause you to take off the belt of truth, insert lies that then leads to removing off the breastplate of righteousness. If the person you are dealing with uses lies that then encourages you toward unrighteous living, they are most likely demonically inspired. Is that word right, demonically? Because every time I say it, it doesn't sound right. Am I saying that right? You know, sometimes you get a word and you say it too often like the word bread. Bread, 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 bread. And then you're like, is it really bread? Demonically. A person with a demonic influence will use lies that lead to unrighteous living. An example. Oh, don't worry, baby. We really love each other. We're getting married anyway. It's, it's all right. We're getting married. It's okay if we have sex before we get married. We're, we're going to be one anyway. You may love that person, but he is being used, or she, let's keep it real. It could be either one, just throwing out equal opportunity. Sex 
before marriage is not God's way. And so leading you to unrighteous living, that is not a demon-possessed person, but the phrases they're speaking are demonically inspired. And you can reject the devil without rejecting the person. Number two, another way to tell if a person is demonically inspired, a person with demonic influence will be marked by continuous conflict. Also, it says in our armor that we're to put on, our feet are to be prepared with the gospel of peace. If someone has a problem with you, but you've noticed also that they've had a problem with their last three bosses and their last two leaders and every ministry that they've been a part of, you, do you know what I'm saying? You know those people. And you start to think, well, you're the common denominator. More than likely, that person was sent to get you off course. Someone that has marked by continuous conflict, they are not living with the armor of God. They are not walking in peace. They are not creating peace around them. That should be your first clue that something's not right. Now, maybe they're just a grumpy person. Maybe they just grew up in a home that had no peace and they're just living out what they've learned. Maybe it's not demonically inspired, but I would always pray into the spirit realm on this issue to take care of it. If it's not sent by demons, it's not going to hurt you to pray against them. Somebody said to me, I, I, just, I don't want the church to be too demon-focused. I don't either. My wife will tell you. I don't talk. She would probably like me to talk about demons more than I do. But I don't want the church to be demon ignorant either. I want us to discern when the enemy is trying to attack us. I would, I would rather rebuke the devil and he's like, what? Don't blame me. Don't blame me. I had nothing to do with that. That was you. That was all you. I would rather blame him just in case than for me to walk around thinking, oh, this is my fault. I've just, I've always had a problem with this. That's just who I am. It's never going to change. It's because I was injured at the age of four. Do you understand that the enemy will use sins against you, even in your childhood years, as an open door? It's not that you invited him in. He capitalized on a trauma. He saw a weakness. In the heavenly places, you have, Scripture tells us, you have an angel assigned to you. You have an angel that, that knows your story, knows your strengths, knows your weaknesses, knows when you're getting off track, runs up to the heavenly places to grab blessings down to deliver to you, takes care of you, waits on you, is speaking wisdom to you. You have an angel assigned to you, but you also have a demon assigned to you. You have a demon that knows your history. Oh, Lord. He's watched the film. He's watched the tape. You know, in football, you watch tape of the other team that you're playing, and you go and you see what their weak spots are, and, and that way your team can be prepared for their weak spots or their strong parts. That way your team can win. Football players, am I telling the truth? You gotta, 
you observe and analyze. The demons have played your tape. They know what sets you off. They know what creates fear. They know what depression triggers there are. They know what makes you insecure. They know where the unbelief is. And every day they are trying to take you out. Every day they are starting something in the spirit realm so that it will make its way, filter its way down to your, your field so that you get taken out of the game. Point number three. A person with demonic influence will draw your focus away from God. Oh, you're just too religious. You're too righteous. You go to church too much. Why don't you just have a little bit of fun? Are you serving how many ministries? Do you have any free time? Oh, what? You give that much money to the 10%? Do you know what you could do with, like, just give them 1%? All them people in there, they should all be doing something. Just 1%? A demonically inspired person will pull you away from God's plan for your life. God's best and highest for your life. He will cause you to focus on circumstances. He will cause you to focus on the contributions that you have already made rather than focusing on the contributions God is calling you to make today. He will pull you, she will pull you away from God. The fourth, a person with demonic influence will seek to diminish your love for others. For others. Who is not your problem? Thank you. These four tips are not for you to identify who is demon-possessed in your life. I knew my mama was demon-possessed. She's got a legion. That's not the purpose of this. This is to direct your prayers. Be intentional with your warfare praying into a spiritual element of someone's life. Let me tell you, the, the devil will use deception, but let me tell you his ultimate goal. We, we see it, in fact, in our text. Having done all to stand, stand therefore. Stand firm. Some translations say, stand firm. Look at your neighbor and say, stand firm. Other neighbors say, don't move. The devil's goal, he will use deception ultimately to get you to move. He wants to get you to move. James 4, 7. I, James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's trying to get you to do what God says he should be doing. He's getting you to flee you to run away from the situation, you to run away from the conflict, you to run away from the war, when the reality is if you simply resist him, he's got to flee. He's the coward, he's the runner, not you. You're a warrior. He wants to get you to move. I think of, I wish I had an umbrella today. 
just stand under this umbrella because no matter what's coming down, I'm covered. No matter what's raining down, I'm covered. I can look around and see the flooding. I can see the hail. H-A-I-L. I can feel the winds. I'm covered. And what the enemy wants to do to you in and through his deception is to get you to move. Remember I said when I started this thing that we fight this in his strength, his might, not our own. His strength, his might. The moment I say, I can do this, I can beat this, I can whip this, I, I lay the umbrella down and I fight against the rain with my own force. You were made to war, but you were made to war within Jesus. Also, you probably should know that the devil is is weak. I may hurt his feelings this morning. He may get a little offended with me this morning, but you should know he's weak. He's also a pretty boy. He's a good-looking worship leader with skinny jeans. Probably Justin Bieber hair. That's how I picture the devil. He's not like a monster with fangs. He's a skinny boy, pretty boy worship leader with skinny jeans and Justin Bieber bangs. The Bible describes him as, as beautiful. He's weak. And he actually has no power over you. And he may be sitting in the chair, (laughs) laughing, kicking back, telling you checkmate, but he's weak. He has no power over you that you don't give him. That's why he had to use a snake in the garden. The enemy has to use a body that is willing to host. He has no authority unless you lend your authority to him. He has no power unless you lend your power to him. He has no strength unless you lend your strength to him. So so we need to remind ourselves this morning of the rights that we have. Because we're scared of the big bad wolf. Like he's actually able to do something. But listen, the devil can't whip you with power but he can whip you with permission. I'm tired of giving the devil permission. I am tired of partnering with the lies over my life, over my family, over my finances, over this church, I will not give him permission to whip me anymore. Stand firm, stand firm, stand firm. What does stand firm mean? Stand firm means stay in the area that has already brought victory. Stand firm in the final move. We keep trying to make our own move. 
We keep looking at the chessboard, trying to outwit Satan, trying to create this lofty, grandiose move. Just stay in the final move that's already been made. We know from Hebrews that Jesus rendered Satan powerless. You know, if you watch a sports network, anyone watch sports that have already played and, you know, on the sport? Okay, yeah, some, some of you guys, even though you know who won, you'll watch it anyway because you like watching it that much. Sports network, if they're playing an old game, they'll say, head now to this game where so-and-so beat so-and-so 26 to 12, and they start the game. And so you watch the game, obviously because you love the game, but it's a whole different viewing when you already know the outcome than if you're watching the game, Super Bowl, and you're wanting the Chiefs to win, and they're du double overtime, and all this, and you're like biting your nails, and oh my gosh, you were like watching for victory. You were waiting for victory. But it's different when you already know the outcome because it was played two years ago. There was a move that was made 2,000 years ago. And it has a history of winning. It has a history of being the final move. It was a move on Calvary where the devil thought he had won. But three days later, Jesus rose up from that grave. Living this life doesn't have to be about us praying for victory. How about we start living life through victory? Walking through crisis from a place of victory, knowing that I've already won through him, is way more peaceful than wondering how tomorrow is going to pan out. That's why I love communion. In fact, I know I made a joke about preaching two and a half hours, and I'm not looking at my dad just in case. He's like, son, let's wrap this thing up. But can we do something, ushers? Worship host, let's quickly hand out communion. Let's hand out communion. This is spur of the moment. No one knew about it. Can we give it up for our worship host? And, and give it up for Pedro who ordered communion last week. Thank God you did that or we would be out. Okay, let's get communion. Can, can someone... Pedro, can some of our team just jump up and help the worship host? Let's as quickly, let's get a volunteer on each row really quick and just get it done. And throw me, throw me one as well. Jen, can I take one of yours? Don't throw. Thank you. We're about to engage in spiritual warfare together. Are you ready? Let me explain what I mean. If you're watching at home, run quickly. Grab some bread, crackers, gardettos, whatever it is that you need, and grab some juice, water, milk, whatever. Quickly, we're about to together engage in spiritual warfare.
think that we have become experts in self-help and a little bit of Jesus. Reading the word a little bit and a whole lot of YouTube. How to fix this and that. Instead of becoming experts in the Lord, we have become experts in the Lord mixture. Taking just a little bit of the Lord and a little bit of self-help and hoping that it all works out. But I, I want to I remind you of a strategy that you and I have for spiritual warfare. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 26 says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. You proclaim the final move until, whoo, whoo. I just got chills down my left arm and my back. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So every time the enemy tries to yell checkmate at you, you grab communion wherever you are because that's your next move. It says, proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Proclaim to who? If you're doing this in your living room, crying, upset, feeling defeated, who are you proclaiming it to? Who are you proclaiming the Lord's death to? I'll tell you who. The heavenly places. You're stepping from this realm into the heavenly places, to the spirit realm. And when you bring up what Jesus already accomplished... You're saying, Satan, you've been defeated, and what you're trying to do to me has already been defeated. You're telling me I got to be on drugs, that's been defeated. You're telling me I have to be gay, that's been defeated. You're telling me I have to be immoral, that's been defeated. You're telling me I have to be a liar, that's been defeated. You're telling me I have to be a drug addict, that's been defeated. You're telling me I have to live with anger, that's been defeated. You're telling me I have to be depressed with anxiety, that's already been defeated. And what you're telling me? When you're telling me anything that goes against the word of God, it's already been defeated. When you're telling me that I'm not a man, though I was born a male, that's been defeated. When you are telling me that my relationship is going to end in divorce, that's been defeated. When you're telling me that the cancer is, is going to ruin my body, that's been defeated by the power of Jesus Christ in Jesus' name. And so we take this. We don't proclaim his death because we have relegated it to history, something that happened 2,000 years ago. We proclaim his death just to remind the chick mate master that the final move has already been made. <laughs> so today, will you stand with me? No matter what checkmate situation you're in, going to stand firm. Father, in the name of Jesus, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that has come to transform us, that has come to renew us, that has come to bring life to our mortal bones. The enemy, the enemy may feel as he's got us trapped in a corner. He may feel that he's made the final move, but God, we thank you that the final move has already been made. And so, God, we receive this bread and this juice today 
to remind all those listening in the heavenly places, to our angel that has been following us since birth, to the demon who thinks he's got us, to every work in the spirit realm that is actively working to defeat us, we are declaring in the name of Jesus that the cross and the grave has the final word. So we receive it, God. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that not only brings us into relationship with you, but destroys the yoke of the enemy. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive communion together. that it's broken in Jesus name in Jesus name in Jesus name our striving to remedy it in the flesh and the physical realm is over in Jesus name in Jesus name amen amen look at your neighbor say you're made for this you were made for this amen Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you for our time together this Sunday morning, February 18th, 2024. Let this be marked in the timeline of our life as a day where the battle shifted, where the strategy shifted, where victory was assured, not in our own strength, our own power, not because of some new knowledge that we've gained, but because we've learned now as sons and daughters to stand firm and undercover. In Jesus' name, I pray. Let the church say amen. Amen. Thank you for being here today. Yes, God bless everybody. We want to remind you that this Wednesday is youth. Next Sunday, 1030. Make sure you're here early for praise and worship. Uh, We want to see you then. Invite a friend. Now that you've been to church, go be the church. God bless you.